Okay, we're going to start out with a little bit of audience participation this morning. Raise your hand if you've ever had a miscommunication. Should be everybody. Okay, very good. Okay, keep it up if you have ever spoken before you've had all of the facts. In, in newspaper world, they, call, they have to print a retraction. That's a really bad thing to report on something that ends up being wrong. You got to eat your own words. Uh, okay, raise your hand if you've ever had to apologize for something you said when you were angry. Yeah, a lot of hands. Okay, so James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, a leader in the early church in the first century, has something to say about that in this letter that we've been studying for the past few weeks. He writes this letter as a pastor to a bunch of Jewish Christians who are living uh, in a new situation, and he has lots of practical advice for, for life, and one of the things that he talks about are some keys for practical, effective communication. So here's what James has to say. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I'll say a prayer and you're dismissed. It's pretty clear, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty good advice. Don't, don't need to add a, a whole lot to that, but um, I'm going to anyway. Uh, <laughs> so, um, in all seriousness, though, how much better off would the world be if we all just did that just a little bit more? If we were all a little bit quicker to listen, a little bit slower to speak, and a little bit slower to become angry? How much better would our marriages be if we were a little bit slower to speak, a little bit quicker to listen, a little bit slower to become angry. How much better would our political system be if people on both sides of the aisle were a little bit slower to speak, a little bit slower to become angry, and a lot faster to listen? So let's dive into this. We'll unpack it a little bit. Here's what James says. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, quick to listen. Here's what listen means. Listen means, it means more than just hear, right? Because we can hear something without actually listening to what's being said. Here, here's, here's what it really means. It says, let everyone be quick to seek to understand. That's what it means to really listen. It means to seek to understand. It means to be quick to learn, quick to listen, quick to hear, quick to seek to understand, quick to learn. So here are some questions that can guide our listening. This is how we can ask ourselves, okay, am I really listening? Here's the first one. Do you really try to understand those who see things differently than you? Do you try to see do you try to understand those who see things differently than you really? You don't have to answer this out loud. You don't have to raise your hand. But in the depths of your heart, when you're conversing with somebody who sees the world differently than you, do you really try to understand their viewpoint? Or are you just formulating a rebuttal in your mind? Okay, I'm guilty of this. Somebody starts saying something that 
that I disagree with, and all of a sudden I'm starting to catalog the points in my head so that I can come back with a response instead of actually just listening and trying to understand. This applies at home, in our marriages, in our relationships. Do we really try to understand what our spouse is asking for before we respond with frustration or anger or something else? Do we really ask ourselves maybe what's going on behind the question or behind the statement? Is there something going on underneath that I'm not catching? Do I really understand what's being said to me or asked me? How about with our kids? Right? Do we really understand what our kids are trying to tell us when they say something or when they do something? Or do we just automatically react to the surface of what we initially hear? Or initially How about with our parents? Kids, do we, do we really try to understand what our parents are saying to us and why they're saying it to us and that they really do have our best interests at heart? Or do we just hear no and get angry and storm away? How about at work? Do we really understand our coworker or our boss or our, or our subordinate when they say something to us that, that maybe goes against how we, how we see things? Do we really understand their position and their framework? This really applies in politics, right? Do we really understand where the other side is coming from, or is it just because they're from the other side, they're automatically wrong? How about in church? Church is not immune from conflicts and disagreement and seeing things differently, are we? No. You know that we're not. Do we really try to understand where the, where, where the other person is coming from in church who has a, an idea of a way that something might be done differently or a different way to approach something? Do we really try to understand? Or are we so set in, in our vision and our understanding of how things ought to be that we don't even have time or room to listen to somebody else? How often do we automatically dismiss information that challenges us in our worldview? You know they've done studies on this? Most of us, it's called confirmation bias. Maybe you've heard of that. Confirmation bias tells us that what we already believe to be true, we'll accept that information. And if we don't already believe it be true, we're, we're, we usually reject it without even considering it. This is just sort of hardwired into who we are. So it takes extra effort to overcome confirmation bias. We automatically dismiss information that challenges us. So how do we, how do we know? How do we know we're really trying to understand? Well, here's, here's a guiding question. Can you articulate their views in a way they would agree with? Can you articulate their views in a way they would agree with? In other words, can you paraphrase what they're saying and say, what I'm hearing you say is, and then you state it back in your own words, in a way that they would say, yes, that's what I'm saying. Can you say to your husband or your wife, what I'm hearing you say is X. Is that what you mean? And your spouse can say yes or no. But until we can respond and, and articulate the other side's view in a way that they can agree with to demonstrate that we understand it, we haven't actually listened. Until we can articulate the other side's position in a way that they would agree and understand, we haven't actually listened. And until that point, we need to be quick to listen. James goes on. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, this doesn't mean that we have to speak 
slowly. <laughs> Although sometimes we do, right? Especially some of you were very gracious. You know, when I first became pastor here, you lovingly told me, Thomas, it would be nice if you would speak a little more slowly. So I've tried to do that. Sometimes I still get excited and I, I speak a little quickly. But that's not what James is talking about here. James is talking about before we respond, after we've listened and before we respond, take some time to think and consider. Now, to be perfectly honest, to be perfectly honest, this is a difficult one for me, right? My brain works fast. I listen. And I, you know, so for me, I have to work extra hard in my mind not to be coming up with a rebuttal as I'm hearing and to be slow to speak, to hear and to, to formulate and be deliberate in my response, especially because speaking is such a big part of my job, right? I literally get paid to speak. It's a part of my job. And as a pastor and as a you know, somebody who studies the Bible, people often look to me to say, okay, well, what is the right response? What's the Christian response to this particular issue or situation or event? And so I'm often called on to respond, and that's what James means. We need to be slow to respond. We need to wait to respond until after we have taken the time to really listen, really understand and really learn. So I, I've taken a little bit of liberty with the text here in this next slide. I have updated James's letter from the first century to apply to 21st century reality, okay? He says, my dear brothers and sisters, every, uh, take note, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to post, slow to share, and slow to tweet. Right? Because those are forms of responses, forms of communication, ways in which we communicate and interact with the world, right? Um, for those who are in a younger generation than me, maybe slow to snap. Some of you don't know what that is. Some of you do. That's okay. All right? Slow to Instagram. Whatever it is, we, we should be slow to respond. See, social media, I believe, is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing because it provides an easy way for us to stay interconnected, right? I've moved around a lot in my life. I've lived in lots of different states and cities, and I've got friends from all of those cities, and social media allows me to stay connected with them in ways that would have been much more difficult in previous ages. I can just hop on my phone or the computer, and I can send a message or post a status update or share pictures of my kids and see pictures of them and all of that. It's, there's so many good things about social media. But like everything, with great privilege comes great responsibility, and there's great potential for great damage in social media. We can often share things. I think sometimes being, you know, behind a screen makes us feel like we have some degree of anonymity, and I've seen this in myself, right? So sometimes, you know, this, this message is as much for me as it is for anybody else, um, you know, hiding behind a screen sometimes allows us to speak with uh, more boldness. Sometimes we, we don't pay as close attention to our filters as we necessarily would when we're meeting face-to-face, -face, right? And so maybe you know this, some of the people who are some of the sweetest, most kind people on the planet in person, you see their Facebook feed and you go, <gasps> right? And, and it happens, it happens to me too. Some of you, you know, I mean, I, and I've been guilty of things like that in the past, right? Where there's something about the, the distance that the screen causes that, that allows us uh, to, to communicate with less of a filter. And that can be a good thing, but it can also be a very, very bad thing. 
So social media is a blessing and a curse. So we should be quick to listen and slow to post and slow to share and slow to tweet. Did you know that false information travels much faster than true information? I mean, and there are studies in this. For some reason, false information flies through Facebook while the truth like wades through the mud or pulls itself along. For so, so, you know, we'll get into this uh, in a little bit. It's, it's easier to say things online than it is to, face, to, to say things face-to-face. So, so I'm going to share with you a couple of different Proverbs. One of them is from Scripture, and one of them is one that somebody made up. Both of them make sense. Here's what um, Solomon wrote, you know, a thousand or so years before James ever wrote this letter. Here's what Solomon wrote. He was uh, considered to be one of the wisest people uh, to have lived, king over Israel, wrote lots of Proverbs, considered to be very wise. Here's what he said. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongue. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongue. So here's how somebody in a later generation paraphrased this. It's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. It's better to keep your mouth closed and let people think you're a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. In other words, sometimes the best thing we can do if we don't know is just not to do anything, to wait it out until we have the information. Sometimes that is the best thing to do. So uh, here's how somebody else put it. Before you speak, think. Before you speak, think. Now, think, I'm going to show you, is an acronym. Before you speak, ask yourself these questions. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? Now, out of this list, which one do you think is the most important? You can... True. Yeah, I hear hear from the audience. True. Is it true? This is absolutely the most important. As Abraham Lincoln said, don't believe everything you see on TV or the internet. Is it true? Is it true? It's easy to check. And if you don't know how to check, then perhaps the best thing to do is to wait. Is it true? Next, is it helpful? Because some things that are true are not necessarily helpful, are they? Sometimes you may see something that it may be true, but it may not be helpful for that person at that particular time. And because of that, it's not worth speaking. Is it inspiring? Right? Things may be true, but if it's not inspiring, maybe it's not the right thing. I, I, inspiring isn't, isn't a necessary qualification, but it's something to ask. Right? Is this going to build people up? Is it edifying? Is it, going to, is it going to encourage somebody else? Is it inspiring? It may be true, but that doesn't necessarily mean it needs to be said, which leads us to the next one. Is it necessary? I think this is the second most important one. Something may be true, and it may be helpful, but it might not be necessary at that particular moment, right? Sometimes we want to say something, but it's just not the right time. It's not necessary. Now, necessary is more important than inspiring, and sometimes it's more important than kind. Sometimes we have to say something that's necessary because it's for somebody's safety or it's for their, for their 
you know, ultimate good. But this is where we, we, we got to be careful, right? Because something can be true and necessary, but the way that we say it is really important. That's where the fourth one comes in. Is it kind? Is this kind? Am I being kind? Now, it may be true, and it may be necessary, and it may not be pleasant, but we can still say it in a kind way, from a kind heart, for, with a spirit of love. So before you speak, think, is it true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind? And if, if you answer no to the first one, then don't say it, right? And if you answer yes, then, then work through the rest. Is this something that needs to be said? Is it going to build someone else up or meet a need or, you know, in, in certain cases, protect somebody? But ask these questions before you speak. Think. So James goes on. He says we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. We are currently living right now in 21st century America in what many people have referred to as the age of outrage. The age of outrage. There's, the, there's just lots and lots and lots of anger swirling from all sides. And, and, and we get angrier these days faster than we ever have. Partly because it's so easy because there's so much information in 24-hour news cycles. And we're always online. And it's just so much easier to see what's going on across the whole world than it has ever been. And because of that, we get angrier and angrier. And we do so faster and faster. And the media organizations and the politicians, they know this. And they intentionally play on our anger. They play on our anger. They provoke our anger because they know that if we're angry, we're more likely to respond without thinking. We're more likely to, to, to you know, hunker down. And so we, the, the media organizations and the politicians, they play on and they provoke our anger. So James says, slow to become angry. Now here, I'm going to give a, a slightly different translation. The Greek just says slow to anger. It doesn't say become angry. It says slow to anger. I think this is a better way to say it. Be slow to give in to anger. Be slow to give in to anger. In other words, we can't always, we don't necessarily have control over what makes us initially angry. When we feel something, we don't necessarily have control over what we feel and when we feel it, right? But we do have control over how we express those feelings. How we express those feelings are under our control. We're working with our toddler now. And those, who, raise your hand if you've ever had a toddler or been a toddler. Okay, just about everybody in here. All right, so we're working with a toddler right now. And, and as you know, toddlers, they, they are experiencing emotions at incredibly high you know, rates, and they don't necessarily know what to do with them. And so that's why we have toddlers are famous for what? Tantrums, tantrums. Tantrums are the just overwhelming expression of some emotion, usually sadness or frustration or anger, right? And so one of the things that we're working with our little toddler on is we say, it's okay for you to be frustrated. It's normal to feel angry. It's okay to quote Daniel Tiger, the great philosopher Daniel Tiger, it's okay to feel sad sometimes, but it's what we do with those feelings, how we express them. So we say, it's okay to be angry, but we don't hit your brother. It's okay to be angry, but we don't throw your water cup. Okay? It's okay to be angry, but don't rear-end the person who cut you off. Right? How we 
express our anger is within our control. So it's okay. James isn't saying, you know, don't ever get angry. That's not what he's saying. He's saying be slow to give in, to give yourself over to anger. Here's why. Because the angrier we get, the slower we are to listen and the quicker we are to speak. I know that's true for me. If you think about it, it's probably true for you. I can't speak for all of you. It's probably true for you. The angrier we get, the slower we are to listen, the less we really want to understand the other person, and the quicker we are to speak, which moves forward. And when we're angry, the things we speak are far less likely to be true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, and kind. Usually, we don't have to say, honey, I'm really sorry. I told you you were beautiful last night. I spoke out of anger. Honey, I'm really sorry. I told you I loved you so intensely I spoke out of anger, right? Usually when we have to apologize for speaking in anger, it's because what we've spoken was not true, helpful, inspiring, necessary, or kind. It sort of becomes a downward spiral. Our anger goes up and up and up. Our listening goes down and down and down. And then our speaking goes up and up and up. And it's usually not the kinds of things that we want to hear or should hear. And then we're usually ending up a few minutes, a few hours, a few days. Sometimes you may have experienced this a few years later, right? How many times have, has, has somebody said something that has damaged a relationship for years, if not forever? You've all heard that expression, we grow up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. That's a bunch of baloney, and you know that, right? Words are some of the most powerful weapons that we have. Words can, can leave wounds that, that hurt long after a broken bone would have healed. Words are powerful, and they're hurtful, which is why when we get angry, we need to slow down. James goes on. He says, because, we need to be slow to anger, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger, this is, this is important, human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, righteousness is kind of a shorthand in the New Testament for the kind of life that's pleasing to God. The kind of life that's pleasing to God. The human anger, when we experience our emotion, we allow that emotion to overrun and control us that usually does not lead to the kind of life that God desires for us to have. Now, righteousness can also refer to justice. Righteousness can also be translated as justice. And so human anger does not always lead to the kind of justice that God desires, Right? When we experience injustice, which as we're going to talk about in a, in a moment, is a legitimate reason to feel anger, but human anger, when we respond and react in anger reactively, that doesn't lead to the kind of justice that God desires. So I want to talk for a little bit. James here emphasizes human anger, and there's a difference between human anger and righteous anger. So I want to talk about that for just a couple minutes. Human anger versus righteous anger. There were times, if you read through the stories of Jesus in the Gospels, or if you read Paul's letters, you'll realize there were times when Jesus got very angry, right? He got angry with the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day. He got angry with those who were, um, you know, 
changing money and selling doves in the temple because they were hurting people. They were defrauding people. And so because of this, Jesus expressed anger. He got angry. If you read through Paul's letter to the Galatians, right, he is angry that there are some some, uh, people who are coming along and and forcing a way of life on the Christian believers that, that was contrary to God's way. And Paul got angry, and he said some things that if I said in church, you'd probably fire me. Yeah, don't believe me? Go read it. Go read Paul's letter to the Galatians and see what he says to them. There are times when, when, when God's people did get angry. There are times when you read the Scripture when God gets angry, right? So there are times when righteous anger is the appropriate response. But we have to be careful because we can, as self-deceiving beings, right? We're very good at tricking ourselves. There's nobody better at tricking you than you. There's nobody better at tricking me than me. Right? We can rationalize just about anything, so we've got to be careful. But there is a time and a place for righteous anger. So I want to I give you some, some guidelines for this. Righteous anger. Righteous anger is being angry at the things that make God angry in a way that mirrors the way that God is angry. Now, I've, this is a paraphrase from a, a new book that just came out by Ed Stetzer. He is a, a scholar who studies missions and Christianity and evangelism. And, and so um, this is from his new book, uh, Christians in the Age of Outrage. If you're interested in this topic, you might want to pick that up and read about it. He's, um, he's, you know, he speaks some, some hard truth that a lot of us need to hear on, on both sides of the aisle, believers, non-believers, like just some good, some good solid stuff. He says, righteous anger is being angry at the things that make God angry, but not just that, right? But also mirrors the way that God is angry, right? So what are the kinds of things that make God angry? Well, injustice makes God angry. When you read through the the stories in the Bible, you look at the stories of Jesus and Paul, stories in the Old Testament, you see that the kinds of things that make God angry are injustice. When people are misunderstood, treated, especially the marginalized, the poor, the widows, the orphans, those who are on the margins of society, when those who are in in power oppress those who are not in power. These are the kinds of things that often make God very, very angry. So injustice and oppression make God angry. They made Jesus angry. They're things that should, as followers of Jesus, also make us angry. But that anger needs to be expressed in a way that mirrors the way that God is angry. Okay, so here's a a couple of categories, a couple of guidelines to help frame in righteous anger. First, righteous anger is based on truth. Righteous anger is based on truth. Going back to, is it true? Right? Um, In the book, Ed Stetzer recounts the story. Maybe you uh, remember it. A couple of years ago, there was um, a famous internet personality who made this online rant about how Starbucks hates Christmas and Jesus because they took Christmas off of their cups, right? And it went viral. And, and Christians everywhere were getting so upset that Starbucks was taking Christmas out, and it ended up being not true at all. The guy had made it up. There was no substance to the story whatsoever. But because Christians just assumed that he was telling the truth and didn't fact check, there was this just breakout of outrage among Christians for something that ended up not being true. That's not righteous anger. Righteous anger is based on truth. Not only that, righteous anger is directed at injustice. It's directed at the mistreatment of people. 
We direct our righteous anger at injustice. Thirdly, righteous anger is deliberate. It's not reactionary. It's deliberate. It's not reactionary. People often, you know, you know, they'll refer to that scene in the temple where Jesus turns over the tables and drives out the animals um, as if he just all of a sudden just, you know, had a, you know, a temple tantrum. <laughs> but that's not what happened. Jesus was very methodical and deliberate in what he chose to do and when he chose to do it. Righteous anger is deliberate. It's not reactionary. It's thought through. So this is what it means to be slow to anger. James doesn't say never become angry, but he says it's slow, it's deliberate, it's purposeful. Finally, righteous anger seeks restoration. Righteous anger seeks restoration, not destruction. We don't want to see those who are opposed to justice destroyed. I'm often reminded of a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He says, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Right now, he was, he was bold, he was courageous, he spoke truth, and, and at one time he was the most hated man in America. Right? So he didn't water down his message, but in his heart, his goal was always reconciliation and restoration. This is important. The goal of righteous anger is restoration, not simply destruction, not simply to make myself feel better. If all I'm doing when I express my anger is just making myself feel better, there's a way to do that in a way that doesn't hurt other people, right? A good close friend. It's important to vent. It's important to vent. It's just important to vent in the right way and to the right person. Otherwise, if you vent in the wrong place and to the right person, you might end up burning somebody. Okay, so it's okay to vent. Don't, don't hear what I'm not saying. Have a close friend. Have a therapist. Come to me. Go to your pastor, right? Have a place where you can vent and express and get it out so that then you can approach in a deliberate manner that seeks restoration. So here's the point. There is a time to speak. James isn't saying never speak. And there is a time to be angry. But that time is after we have been quick to what? Listen, to hear, to seek, to understand. So I want you to say this with me, okay? Say with me, I will be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Let's say it together. I will be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. If you're watching online, say it on your couch. Nobody will know. I will be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, I'm going to say a phrase, and after every phrase I say, I want you to repeat this, okay? With my spouse. With my kids. With my coworkers. With my boss. With the Republicans. With the Democrats. On the internet. With my pastor. Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. 
if we would all do this just a little bit more, if we'd be a little quicker to listen, if we'd be a little quicker to really seek to understand, if we'd be a little slower to respond, a little slower to react, a little slower to talk, and if we'd be slower to allow ourselves to give in to anger, just imagine how much more peaceful our homes, our schools, our workplaces, our churches, and our country would be. I will be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Lord, I thank you that you have recorded for us in this ancient document such simple and profound truth. I pray, Lord, that it would not just enter our heads, but that it would enter our hearts and work its way out into our actions. Lord, I pray that you would help me be quicker to listen and slower to speak and slower to anger. And I pray that you would help us as your body demonstrate what it looks like to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. And Father, I pray that as we do this, we can, we can demonstrate what it means, what it looks like to really love one another, to seek the best in one another, to understand those that we don't agree with, and to come together and to seek restoration and reconciliation. So thank you for this truth, and thank you for your love. Thank you, God, that you are a God that is slow to anger, who, who deals with us. Father, if, we just, if I just remember all of the things that you have patiently endured with me, it makes it easier for me to patiently endure with others. So, Father, help us remember that you're slow to anger. Help us to model you, to live for you, to set this example. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.